There has been no transition in modern memory as shocking as the sudden and violent upheaval that brought the arrival of Lyndon B. Johnson and his family to the White House. The resident staff had to help a devastated First Lady and her two children move out, even as they were grieving themselves, and at the same time they had to help the Johnsons move in. And it all had to be done without making Mrs. Kennedy feel rushed or the Johnsons feel as though they were being ignored. I've been on panels with other social secretaries, and they make it all sound so exciting when they got there, says Lady Bird's social secretary, Bess Abel, a Catherine Hepburn-esque presence who speaks with great affection about the Johnsons. I moved into the White House on an entirely different occasion. Instead of coming in with the excitement and the thrill of an inauguration, we moved into a house that was covered with black crepe on all the chandeliers and the columns. The new First Lady, Lady Bird Johnson, often lamented the difficult position her family were suddenly thrust into, People see the living and wish for the dead, she'd say. Out of respect for the president's widow, Lyndon B. Johnson, who was largely disliked by Kennedy's staff, did not move into the White House until December 7, 1963. He started working out of the Oval Office on November 26. Before then, he worked out of room 274 in the old executive office building next door to the White House. Some of Johnson's advisors argued that moving into the residence on December 7th, the 22nd anniversary of the horrific attack on Pearl Harbor, would be disrespectful. Others simply wanted to give Mrs. Kennedy more time before leaving the White House. Every move the Johnsons made must have been excruciating, since nothing they did could help endear them to President Kennedy's heartbroken aides. Lucy Baines Johnson, just 16 years old at the time, remembers eavesdropping as her parents had what she called the only argument she can remember them ever having. We have to move December 7th, Bird, Johnson told his wife. Lyndon, any day but that, any day but that, her mother pleaded, but in vain. When the Johnson family finally arrived, Their daughter, Lucy, brought their beagles, him and her, in her convertible. Lady Bird and Bess and her press secretary, Liz Carpenter, brought breakable items, along with a portrait of House Speaker Sam Rayburn, a fellow Texan who was Johnson's mentor. At first, the Johnsons seemed to treat the White House gingerly, as though they were impinging on sacred ground. But the resident staff, unlike Kennedy's political aides, never made them feel like interlopers. I never felt a sense of, how could you be here, Lucy told me. It was, oh, how tough to have you come here this way. How can we help? How can we teach? Not everyone was welcoming. After Kennedy's assassination, Trafees Bryant, an electrician who started caring for the first family's dogs with the Kennedys, they had nine dogs at one point, and didn't stop until the Nixons, was wary of President Johnson. I was losing a dog and gaining a president I didn't know, 
Not only didn't I know him, I didn't think I wanted to know him. He wasn't boyish or good-natured or quick-witted like Kennedy, and I heard him cussing out the help when things weren't done fast enough. Bryant describes the abrupt shift at the White House to accommodate the new president. Terriers were out and beagles were in. Jackie Pink was out, Ladybird Yellow was in, Chowder was out, and Chili was in. He hoped that one thing would remain the same, that Johnson would appreciate the way that he'd trained presidential dogs to greet their owners on the South Lawn when they returned from a trip on the Marine helicopter. President Kennedy thoroughly enjoyed the tradition. He always gave a broad smile and greeted the waiting dogs as if they were his distinguished...